They're crucifying him. Barabbas. They're crucifying the man that took your place. I don't mean your place. I'm not saying you should be crucified. Cells are next to each other. The crowd is picking up. We need to go. There was a hole in the wall between the cells. I could pull a, a piece out and see him. I saw everything. Barabbas. The Romans may have let you go, but they aren't going to let you live. They beat him. They cursed him. They spit on him. You never said a thing. He... He never fought back. Once we get out of town and find someone to treat your wounds... Did you see what they did to him? You. Why not? Why not me? I am. I don't know why not. But if we're going to leave, we need to leave now. Stop! Stop talking! Just... you ever been guilty of something that you didn't receive punishment for? You ever been driving down the road and all of a sudden you look in your rearview mirror and there's red and blue flashing lights and you get this feeling in the pit of your stomach and you think to yourself, oh no, what's this going to cost me? Is my insurance going to go up? And as the lights come closer and closer, they move to the side and they go up forward and they pull the person in front of you over? Phew, what a relief that was, right? Right? Well, and I'm sure that, uh, you know, you were just following the speed of traffic, right? The flow of traffic. You, you were just, uh, you were just doing that. And maybe, maybe when that police officer was pulling that person over, you sat up straight, 
put your, your hands at 10 and 2 and you slowed down to the right speed and you, as you went by or maybe you kicked back in the back of your seat, threw one hand up and sort of floored it because you knew that he was busy and he wasn't going to pull you over. You know, re- regardless of, of what that's like, um, you live to drive another day without a speeding ticket if that's ever happened to you. Someone else essentially ended up paying the fine and got the ticket that you would have gotten. Now, while chances are high that most of us can, who drive can relate to that speeding ticket escape scenario a little bit, chances are slim to none, at least, at least that I think, that any of us have found ourselves locked up on death row. I mean, that's criminal activity to a whole nother level. And that's punishment to a whole different level. And if we were on death row, chances are even slimmer that someone else might take our place and die for us. And let us walk free. But you know, that's what happened with Jesus. The Prince of Peace took the place of Barabbas, a violent insurrectionist, and he died in his place on the cross. And you know, up until this series and the themes that we're going to be covering in the next four weeks, I hadn't really thought about this part of the story. Barabbas was just sort of a, just sort of a toss-in, you know, it was a detail that I really, a, a person that I hadn't really given a lot of thought to. And I got to be honest, it was really moving this week to think about it in the way that we're going to look at it today. Now, the great reformer Martin Luther has been credited with labeling this event as the great exchange. That's the one point in your notes today. You can, you can fill in whatever other information that you think is important today. But that one point, the great exchange... I pray that we think about that and meditate on that this week over and over and over again. A New Testament theologian, N.T. Wright, says it this way, The story of Barabbas invites us to see Jesus' crucifixion in terms of a stark personal exchange. Barabbas deserves to die. Jesus dies instead. And Barabbas goes free. You see, the innocent one, Jesus became guilty so that the guilty might become innocent. Wow. The great exchange, all four Gospels reference this great exchange of Jesus for Barabbas. However, the Bible is silent regarding what happened to Barabbas. Where, where did he go? What, what happened after that? And um, when he was released on that Friday and Jesus went to the cross in his place. And, and of course, this is just, conjecture, trying to fill in some gaps of of what he may have been thinking. Now, what the Bible does tell us, though, is what kind of person Barabbas was. Matthew called him a notorious prisoner, Matthew 27, verse 16. And this is the old NIV, the NIV 84. And they had then a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. If you're looking on your phone um, at at uh, Matthew 27, 16, it says he was a well-known prisoner. He was a well-known prisoner. Mark describes him as a rebel. 
in Mark 15, 7. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. You see, all along in, in, in growing up in Sunday school and even in the church, I had always heard Barabbas referred to as a robber. The two, the two on either side of him as well. And, and maybe even some of your translations, you will see that's, that's how they put it. Luke 23, 19. Luke tells us that Barabbas was a man who had been thrown into prison for an insurrection started in the city and for murder. And then finally in the book of Acts, Luke's, Luke speaks of Barabbas as a murderer in Acts 3, 13 and 14. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. Holy righteous one. There is no doubt in Barabbas' intent and choices to do evil things. He was a bad man. He, he chose to commit sin. He missed the mark big time, just like we missed the mark. Now, you know, I, I, I thought about that this week, and I thought, you know, I'm not as bad of a person as Barabbas. I've never killed anyone. Um, I've not committed treason or insurrection against our country. But you know, I still fall short. Very, very, very short. Some have experienced me falling short in conversation even. You see, big or small in our eyes, we all miss the mark of a holy, righteous God. Now, Pilate, Pilate tried to release Jesus. You know, you, you may remember, if you're not familiar with the Bible that much, you may, you may remember him washing his hands. That might be the only thing that you know about um, his interaction with Jesus. But, but, but Pilate actually tried to release Jesus. But he was overcome by the crowd's insistence that, that he release Barabbas instead. Now, open your Bibles, if you would. I didn't want to leave all of this up to the guys to put it on the screen this morning. To John, uh, the, the Gospel, John, chapter 18. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, chapter 18, and verses 38 through 40. John 18, 38 through 40. John 18, 38 through 40. Starting in verse 38. What is truth, retorted Pilate. With this, he went out again to the Jews gathered there. And he said, I find no basis for a charge against him. But it is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of the Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? They shouted back, no, not him. Give us Barabbas. Now, Barabbas had taken part in an uprising, John says. And it is in there that some translations refer to Barabbas as a robber, and that's really misleading. The word John uses to describe Barabbas as a robber in, in the Greek is lestis. And while lestis can mean robber, it probably um, more, it's more accurate to say that the word refers to someone who's an insurrectionist. In fact, the same word is translated 
as insurrection in Mark 15, 7 and Luke 23, 19. So honestly, I have no idea why the translators decided to go to robber instead of insurrectionist. D.A. Carson says this, neither theft nor violent robbery was a capital, capital offense, but insurrection was. Revolts and bloodshed fostered by guerrilla action were common, and Barabbas had been caught. In the eyes of many of the people, however, he would not have been a notorious villain as far as the Jews are concerned. He would have been a hero because they hated the oppression of the Romans, and they wanted to be free of that. And the reason Barabbas may have been viewed by some as a hero was because they were sick of being oppressed. What Jewish man had not at least considered what it would be like to lead a rebellion against, against the Romans? Perhaps Barabbas had become so fed up with his circumstances that, that he did what others were afraid to do. Some may have seen Barabbas as a man who was trying to save his people from the Roman machine. And, and regarding Barabbas' official name, this was new to me this week. There is, a substantial, there is substantial manuscript evidence, Broadman says, that Jesus Barabbas was his actual name. Pilate's question is pointed then, which, which Jesus did they want released? Did they want Jesus the Christ or Jesus Barabbas? Jesus means Savior. And each offered himself as a Savior. Jesus the Christ as the Savior from sin, and Jesus Barabbas as a Savior from Rome. The crowd stirred up by the chief priests and elders chose Barabbas. Now, it doesn't matter whether Barabbas was guarded as a hero or a villain. He was involved in insurrection and murder within the city, and such crimes would be punished by crucifixion which was a warning to all who tried to take up arms against Rome. And crucifixion, we've gone over it in years past, was violent, painful, and a trademark of Roman power. They became really, really good at causing suffering and pain. And some scholars suggest that the two men crucified with Jesus may have been, may have been a part of the insurrection along with Barabbas. I mean, there were already three crosses on the hill, right? Two robbers, the new NIV says rebels. Two rebels were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. Same word, leste. It's the same word John used to identify Barabbas. So it's likely that these men were being crucified because they, like Barabbas, were part of the insurrection. They weren't being crucified because they stole a jug of milk. They weren't being crucified because they broke into their neighbor's house. They were involved in something much bigger than simple robbery. Carson says, D.A. Carson says this, the fact that three crosses were prepared strongly suggests that Pilate already had ordered that the preparations be made for the execution of the three rebels. If so, Jesus the Messiah actually took the place of the rebel Barabbas. 
It was constructed originally for Barabbas. And as the Barabbas character said in the scene we just watched, he took my place and this changes everything. It's interesting to note that the name Barabbas means son of the father. And I think there's irony in that Barabbas, the one called son of the father, was released while Jesus, the true son of the father, went to his death. It truly was the great exchange. In those days, the people who heard the story of Barabbas likely identified with the man who rebelled against Rome, okay? Um, He was captured, he was sentenced to die, and then he was freed. And, And I wonder if people contemplated that. You know, we hear about someone getting freed or they get their sentence lightened or whatever, and we think about that and we wonder why. And, he, and, and we wonder about the situation. I mean, they heard it on the street. Barabbas was a guilty man, and he was released. And who died in his place? An innocent man, unless they believed the lies of the Pharisees, of course. Maybe the Jewish people saw Barabbas as someone relatable because of his hatred of Roman oppression. Um, maybe they looked at him and thought, there but for the grace of God go I. I it... it It could have just as well been me. And in that, they missed Jesus. They missed Jesus. But here is Jesus standing before Pilate, and a decision has to be made. Pilate has to make a decision. Pilate couldn't believe, honestly, that the crowd wanted Jesus. Why would they want him? Why wouldn't they want somebody that's already been condemned to die? Over and over in the four gospel accounts, we see Pilate expressing the fact that Jesus is innocent. What evil has he done? I'm innocent of this man's blood, he says. It's recorded him saying in Matthew chapter 27. But was he? Was Pilate actually innocent of Jesus' blood? Because he could have made a different decision. Um, Keep keep your finger in John 18, because I'm going to go back there again, but flip over to Luke, flip back to Luke chapter 23, Luke 23, 13 through 16. Luke 23, 13 through 16. It says this, Pilate then called together the chief priests and the rulers and the people And said to them, You brought me this man as one who was misleading the people. And after examining him before you, behold, I did not find this man guilty of any of the charges against him. Neither did Herod, for he sent him back to us. Look, nothing deserving death has been done by him. I will therefore punish him and release him. Interesting that he's going to punish him and release him, I guess, so he could say he did something. Then look at verse 20 through 22. Pilate addressed them once more, desiring to release Jesus, but they kept shouting, crucify, crucify him. A third time he said to them, why, what evil has he done? I have found in him no guilt deserving death. Pilate found nothing. Turn back to John 18. Verse 38. Again, Pilate went back outside to the Jews and he told them, I find no guilt in him. 
He's an innocent man. And then in chapter 19, verse, verse 4, Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. Take him, verse 6 goes on, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. If you want him dead, you kill him, Pilate says. It's interesting to note that Pilate had the authority to not only judge Jesus, but he had the authority to let him go. You know, Pilate, it was... Here was an innocent man. It was, it was uh, custom to, to release a prisoner. Pilate could have let them both go. If they wanted Barabbas, fine. Let Jesus go too. He was innocent. There was no reason for him to die. Mark's account gives us insight into why Pilate ultimately chose to release Barabbas and condemn Jesus. Look at Mark chapter 15. And they cried out again, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, why, what evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, crucify him. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. And thus began the great exchange. The great exchange. An innocent life for the guilty. Although Pilate stated over and over that he believed Jesus to be innocent, he wanted to satisfy the crowd. He was more concerned about his reputation and his skin than he was doing what's right in that situation. The politics of the day superseded the principles of Pilate's life. Interesting how that happens, even in our culture today, isn't it? Politics over principle. John's gospel goes so far as to state that Pilate's desire to release Jesus caused the Jewish people to question his own political loyalties to Caesar. John 19.12, they say this, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar, trying to justify their position even further. And with this swelling mob and him wanting to control the Jews, Pilate satisfies them rather than doing what he knew was the right thing to do, and that was to release Jesus. And that can happen to us sometimes, can't it? Politics can take priority over what's right. Like Pilate, we can choose the easy route instead of the right one. How often do we have those two uh, choices before us? The right one or the easy one? The right one or the cheap one? April 15th coming up. Do I declare it all? Or is there some that I can hold back and not declare? Have you found yourself making decisions to satisfy the crowd rather than doing what you know is right? Have you stayed quiet when you knew you should speak up or gone to the party instead of staying home because you knew it was not a good environment for you? Because the pressure to be there and not be called weak or something else? 
Maybe you voted with the rest of the board in order to keep peace rather than stand firm and explain why you think another direction is more ethical. I'm not talking about being rebellious. I'm not talking about being an insurrectionist. I'm talking about just standing on principle. Who in your life influences your decisions on a daily basis? Is it Jesus? Or is it the pressures of the world? And of course, we're all found in, in crowds, right? It could be a family crowd. It could be a work crowd. Um, you know, and, it, and, and maybe in your department at work, there's negativity and critical comments, and they just flow. And instead of turning the conversation, you just join the conversation and, and get sucked into that or... Or in sales meetings where corners get cut in order to increase production. Or in the teacher's lounge where small talk can turn to gossip unless someone puts a stop to it. You know, we can all find ourselves in that place, right? You're having conversations with people and it's starting to crowd the edge and you're becoming a little bit uneasy instead of saying, you know what, we should stop talking about this right now. You just sort of let it happen and, and, and stay there. You see, Pilate's insecurities and fear led him to have Jesus scourged and sent off to his death. The great exchange. He took my place. And this changes everything. I mean, as I thought about that this week, I I mentioned to several people, hey, this is what I'm talking about this week. Man, isn't that sobering to think about? I mean, the songs that we sang today, I've probably sang a hundred times, but they didn't mean to me those previous hundred times what they meant today as I thought about this great exchange. His life for mine. The sin I committed separated me from God, and Jesus took my place on the cross. Because of our sin, the Bible says, we are condemned to death. We are condemned to die. And Jesus didn't just sweep that sin under the rug. He bore it on that cross. Yours and mine. He exchanged his purity for the sin of my life. He absorbed the suffering due to me. That march to the cross was filled with anguish that should have been Barabbas's. Barabbas deserved it, according to the laws of the Romans. He deserved the pain and the suffering. That should have been his. That should have been mine. That should have been yours. William Hendrickson says this way, It must, however, be borne in mind that the suffering of the man of sorrows was not only intense, but it was vicarious. And, and vicarious means that it was, it was on our behalf. It was for us. Isaiah 53, verse 5, says this, But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed 
for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes, we are healed. That is the great exchange. Him for you. Him for me. Now, this prophecy from Isaiah was about Jesus, and it leads to Barabbas and to us. The Apostle Peter later would recall the same vicarious suffering that Jesus endured at the Great Exchange in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. He himself bore our sin in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. It should have been Barabbas scourged and led to death on the cross at Calvary. It should have been you. It should have been me. But it was not. Instead, the great exchange took place. N.T. Wright says that, that this is in fact the climax and focus of the whole gospel All sinners, all rebels, all the human race are invited to see themselves in the figure of Barabbas. And as we do, we discover in this event that Jesus comes to take our place. Under condemnation for sin and wickedness, great and small, God's mercy reaches out where human mercy could not, not only sharing, but in this case, substituting for in the sinner's fate. Perhaps the question posed by Pilate echoed in the ears and the heart and the life of Barabbas for years after that mercy-filled date. Matthew twenty-seven twenty-two. Then what shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? You know, maybe it didn't. Maybe Barabbas didn't even give it a second thought. He just went on with his evil thinking and his hard heart. But honestly, I'm not sure that's possible (laughs) as I think about it. Jesus died in his place. And the same goes for us. What shall I do with Jesus who is called the Christ? What shall you do? What have you done with Jesus who is the Christ? Have you surrendered it all and laid it all before him? And said, I don't know what this looks like in the future, but, but Jesus, I'm, I'm, I'm giving my life to you. I, I believe that you walked this earth and you walked it with perfection as the holy, righteous one. And you died. You surrendered your life on that cross. And then in three weeks, as we celebrate our risen Lord and Savior, He rose again, conquering sin and death. And it's because of his sacrifice. It's because of him taking our place on the cross and paying the price for us that we have this accessibility to eternal life and a relationship with Jesus Christ. For all who believe, the Bible says. And we know from three or four weeks ago that believe is everything, our heart, our mind, and our action. The Great Exchange. John MacArthur says, this is the most inescapable question every human being faces. 
What have you done with Jesus? We don't know what Barabbas did in response to the freedom he experienced in, in exchange for Jesus' death. Perhaps he went on with his life of sin. Perhaps, as the scene we watched suggested, he thought to himself, this changes everything. The important question is, again, what shall you do with Jesus who is called Christ? Will you continue to live under your terms without any change? Or will you receive what took place at the great exchange? The Apostle Paul summed it up in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, which says this, For our sake God the Father made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the, righteous of, the righteousness of God. You know, the great exchange is waiting for you. If you allow Jesus to take all of your sin and pain and suffering, and you take on the righteousness of God, and because of that change in your life, you will begin to live your life as he intended you to live it. And, and I'm not, it's not a speeding ticket get out of kind of thing here. This is life change. This is the great exchange. Yes, Jesus took your place and this changes everything. Father, thank you for this morning and Lord, I pray that you help us to contemplate and think on this great exchange that took place a little over 2,000 years ago. We sing about it all day long. We sing about this perfect sacrifice and, and, and the Lamb of God. And Jesus, I pray that you would help us this week to see this exchange that occurred. Help us to see us in the place of Barabbas. Imperfect humans. People who lie and steal and cheat and, and commit murder. Father, I pray that you would help us to see that while we were yet sinners, you, you died for us. May we not think ourselves as deserving of that, but see what an incredible gift it is. And may we worship. May we grow in our trust and our faith and our wisdom. The great exchange. Ah, thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Let all that I am praise the Lord. 
with my whole heart. I will praise his holy name. Let all that I am praise the Lord. May I never forget the good things he does for me. He forgives all my 